0: Welcome to the Irish Pagan School podcast. Your hosts are authors and co-founders of the Irish Pagan School here in County Waterford, Ireland, Laura O'Brien and John O'Sullivan. Falcha. Hello and welcome. My name is Laura O'Brien and if you don't know me, I'm a Dree, a native practitioner here in Ireland and I'm also a priest of the Morrigan. So that is what we are here for today. We are going to explore some Celtic mythology. Make sure that you know how to begin a practice with the Morrigan. And I have to start by talking about war because The Morrigan, every time you click on any Morrigan video on YouTube, uh, the first thing you're going to get is that she's a war goddess. And I think that it is probably the most misunderstood part of the Morrigan and of the native lore and the native culture, really, when it comes to working with this goddess. So... In Celtic society, and really in, in Irish society specifically, we did have a warrior culture from around the Iron Age, probably, and certainly into early medieval in Ireland. And that would have been when the the bulk of the lore about the Morgan was being recorded or re-recorded in some cases, copied from older manuscripts that haven't survived, but the newer ones have have survived. So that is the, that's the lore that we have available to us. Warrior culture in Irish society was definitely hierarchical with the warriors very much up top, up near the kings and the the druids, and druids being a very loose term, there was uh, multiple classifications within the, the druidic caste, as far as we know. So War wasn't a military service and martial feats and tactics weren't what we understand them to be now, not by any stretch of the imagination. There was a huge amount of single combat. So it was warrior against warrior. You would you would definitely have whole armies turning out um, to fight each other. But there was a lot of pockets of single combat that were happening within or, you know, small group combat that were happening within those armies. And often very much just one-on-one. So a single warrior would be sent out, like your best warrior from one army would go and and meet and fight the best warrior from the other army. And that could be it then, you know, whoever, whoever won that could win the war, right? So the, the warrior prowess was really, really important. And one of the things that they would do by all accounts, when they were facing somebody in single combat and, and often as well when groups were facing each other and they were all going to fight together, a single warrior would go out or sometimes a single druid actually would go out. And sometimes those things were the same thing, right? But they would go out and they would make a lot of noise and, and like behind them, the, the army would be making a lot of noise. And that noise was very, very important. And there are from all over the, the continent, really, there are historical accounts of facing these Celtic tribes, these these Celtic armies in battle. And now I do have other videos on on what Celtic means and, and what is Celtic paganism, so definitely go and look them up, sorry, on my channel just to get a little bit of a clearer picture of the the culture and the society. And what does all this have to do about the Morrigan? I will absolutely get to that, I promise. So just just go with me, you know, we're telling stories here. So they would make a huge amount of noise and really intimidate through noise, intimidate through poetic incitement. They would give their genealogy, their battle history, who their parentage was, who their tribe was, uh, sorry, who their clan was and who their tribe was. And they would really kind of give, you know, their um, their credentials really, you know, would all be kind of delivered as intimidation. There would also then be um, poetic uh, satire, which was ridicule basically, that would be put against the other armies or the leaders of the other armies or the, you know, the primary warriors that they might be facing then in single combat. So that kind of declaration and noise making was really really important to the whole culture of war that and the martial culture that was going on at the time and then you also had the the main kind of form of war wasn't even so much like the 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 big battles of armies were actually relatively rare what in Irish society specifically what you usually had was cattle raiding cattle were currency so the the cattle raiding was done to, sometimes it was done to gain tribute and to strengthen your tribe. So to strengthen your your own resources, obviously, and to diminish your, you know, your, your enemy tribe's resources. So bands and parties would be set out for cattle raiding. And it was a show of strength in that way. In the stories, they're called tawns. Uh, a cattle raid is called a tawn. Where in society it's called krek. So the storytelling genre, the ton. There are there are multiple tauns, The most famous being the ton bo the cattle raid of Cooley, which we'll we'll talk about just in a second. Uh, in society, then it would be the, the the crack and this was this was so common that it had like its own place in society. And another thing was that they were almost kind of used as initiation rituals and rites as well. It was a krækery which was the the kingship raid which basically proved whether a person was was good enough to take up a position of kingship so there's reference to that so the you know the, this carried a lot of weight these raids these the cattle were very very important and there was uh the, the the meaning of all this was that they were they were looking to increase their tribal sp- strength and prove their tribal tribal strength, but it had strong leadership and sovereignty um connotations as well. So bear all of that in mind. You need that understanding before you're going to even start to work with this goddess. So there's a quote here in Ulster. This was the custom of the Ulster men. Each young man of theirs who first took up arms would enter the province of Connacht on a foray for Krek, or to seek to slay a human being. So there were definitely murder raids. There was um, bloodshed as well involved in this. And when you understand all of this, you understand the the pieces, the puzzle pieces of the Morrigan or Namorinia, because there were multiple aspects or sisters um, that f- fell under those that title, um, the Great Queen or the Phantom Queen title, as well as an individual called the Morrigan. So I do go into that in many other places. I have a whole Morrigan playlist, which has definitely over fifty videos at this point on this YouTube channel. So click on the playlist tab down there, up there, wherever it is, and and have a look through the the other kind of Morrigan basics, and you're going to see a lot more kind of about who the Morrigan was and and what she was. But the idea of her as a war goddess, mostly she doesn't directly fight. She definitely kind of takes to the field of battle uh, with the Bae I believe, in the first battle of Moitura. And the, but generally what you're going to see is that the Morrigan doesn't partake in the fighting herself or themselves. So what we do have though, besides the direct fighting, is the noise making and the idea of literally killing people with the the screeching over the battlefield. Um, the warriors were dead from fear because of the noises that the Morrigan and her her sisters were making as the armies gathered for battle. Now that was in the tawn specifically. But and I'm I'm going to give you resources and stories um, for yourself to read and that as well. After there is reference to the the poetic performance as a weapon of war, and this was very much um, like the the Morgan's prophecies that were given. Um, were very much a part of the war and a part of the battle and a part of declaring the outcome as well, both before battle and after. Uh, that there was this was where the like the the poetry was being weaponized as well and the prophecy and there were magical acts and influence uh, that appears fairly regularly in the stories there was the morrigan was directly involved in conflict over the ownership of cattle so the morrigan and um, planted seeds in a bull's ear at one point <laughs> the Morrigan has uh, has a story where they literally bring an otherworldly cow out of the the other world the the cave at crocon and it causes the whole town basically the that's tomborogavna and so these these kind of like these strategies the long-term thinking the effects that are going to be had by you know Deciding who gets ownership of the cattle by the magical acts, by poet, uh, poetic performance and prophecy, by the noise making, weighing in on one side or another was very much a part of the war goddess role and function, and all of this kind of is is included in the the sovereignty aspects that the Morrigan displays, both in this world and in the other world. So how-to. This is very much a how-to video. So there's going to be three steps. So step one is to get to know the stories. And yes, Laura O'Brien will just give you more work to do because that's what we do. And nothing around here gets spoon-fed because that's how you know it's, it's real. <laughs> You've got to do some work yourself. So I have listed here the uh, Kahmachirra Kunga, which is the first battle of Moitura. There's Kahmachirra which is the second battle of Moitura. There's the Tombaugh Coulnia, which we've mentioned already, the Cattle Raid of Coolie, and Tombo Gavna, which we've mentioned already as well, the, the Cattle Raid of Regamon. And knowing these stories is actually really important for context because if you're only reading neo-pagan books, if you're only watching YouTube videos, as good as some of them are, most of them are absolutely horrific and horrible and terrible. So if that's all you get, you know, or or modern media or whatever, if that's your sources of information on the margin, you are getting it wrong, I guarantee you. Or at the very best, you're getting a half-arsed version of somebody's misunderstood um, interpretation of it. So it's really important that you have a one-to-one relationship with the Morrigan lore and you know the stories so that when you do see somebody's shared experience or somebody's opinion on the Morrigan that you actually know where it comes from. So there is a link here on screen. I'll put it down below as well where you can actually access the Morrigan resources. It's a, it's a video and a PDF bundle that you can download And it goes through the original stories, the modern pagan books I recommend, the websites that you can look at, all that kind of stuff. So you do have resources at your disposal. And step one is to definitely know the stories. So step two would be to set up an altar space. This one is by Gwenifer on the Amino Pages, sorry, Amino Pagans and Witches community. And it's just an image I took off the Internet. I thought it was a pretty one. It's you know it's not too kind of stuck with the the sexy sexy Morgan statues or anything like that. It has the feathers. It has a, a blade, a knife, which I believe is very representative of uh, Morgan's sharp wit and keen edge. And um, one of her, one of the interpretations of her name actually is is has keen edge in it. So knives seem very ap- appropriate to me. There's some incense. There's a, a painting of wings which. I really love the Morgan is a shapeshifter and I really love the the less less standardized, I suppose, versions of imagery that you can see, you know, she's given as having red hair in the only kind of physical description we have of her in what seems to be as herself, which will be in Tom Gavna. She has red hair where a lot of artists would portray her with dark hair or black hair, raven black hair, you know, and all this. So she takes the shape of many animals and has a particular association with the crow, specifically a little bit with the raven as well, um, according to the lore. So, um, wings would be particularly important. But setting up that altar, altar space, it 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 doesn't have to look like this. It doesn't have to look like anything. It it can be a, a tiny space on a shelf where you light a candle. It can be, it can be a, a photograph of a crow that, you know, doesn't have to look like anything else to anybody else, literally on your wall. You know, that's, that can be it. It can, it can be whatever suits you. It can be elaborate. It can be, you know, 12 feet wide and be decked with jewelry and statues and imagery and, you know, all of that. I would say that you don't need all that, but if you want it, fucking go for it. So Setting up your altar space in a way that actually means something to you is really important. So definitely that would be step two. And then step three would be daily devotional. This is the part where the entire internet groans at me and moans and whines and bitches about how they don't have time to do a daily devotional. You have time because a daily devotional can literally be a nod to that crow picture as you're walking by it every day. Put it in your, you know, in your bathroom. You use your bathroom every single day, and that can be your Morgan altar, and that can be your daily devotional, where you just literally show up consistently for your relationship with this goddess. And I cannot emphasize how enough how important that is to showing up consistently, because you are working with the Morgan. You need to build relationship, and you don't just need to build relationship as in you constantly asking for stuff or taking stuff. You need to give before you can receive okay that's how most relationships work in complete fairness if you have somebody that you just meet and you start showing up and just asking for shit then they're they're not going to it's not going to be a very healthy relationship even if they agree to it all of this is important so showing up can look like as I said just a nod as you're going by it can be you can study the law every single day you can read something you can listen to something you can write something as in like, you know, write out a couple of lines of one of the stories and um, use that kind of hand-eye coordination that, that hardwires stuff into your brain. Um, There's, I have, like I said, I have a huge playlist here on YouTube. I have multiple courses over at the Irish Pagan School. I have, I've provided a lot of resources and uh, Morgan Daimler would be another one who would be very good for certainly their books and on their blog. There's a lot of articles. They are translating the Kahmatura over on Patreon at the moment. So definitely go and have a look at that. Um, So you're studying the lore every day. Just, just touch it. At least just touch it, you know, every day. Or do you know what? Every day, five days a week would do you. It would absolutely do you. Um, especially when you're starting a habit. Um, light a candle and make a noise. You know, we talked a lot about the noise making and how important that was. Um, lighting a candle is for your own focus. And then you can, whatever the rest looks like for you, you can say a prayer, you could either read or write some poetry, you could do some divination um, and tie in with the prophecy. And all of these things are very relevant and very important for a right relationship, a working relationship with the Morrigan. So over at the School.com. Um every so often I do a a longer course, uh, a three or four week course called How to Build a Practice with the Morrigan. It goes into a lot of this stuff in a lot more detail. And we kind of I, I only open it every so often. It only opens a couple of times a year. So you can go through it with, you know, with fellow students as, as you're going through the the materials week by week. So definitely get on the mailing list at irishpaganschool.com or at LauraO'Brien.ie. All the links are below if you want to actually take this a little bit further. But what I wanted to do was give a free resource for people who, you know, couldn't afford to take that course or were waiting to take that course or, you know, whatever that looks like for you. There are definitely other other classes over at the IrishPaganschool.com that you can have a look at. There's a really good introduction to the Morrigan, if I do say so myself. I don't even say it myself. Everybody, well, not everybody. <laughs> Many people who have taken that course have said that it's a very good introduction to the Morrigan and to the Morrigan practice. So, and like I said, there is a, a link below to that um, that download and the the resources where you can actually get started. On a, a deeper level with how to get to know the Morrigan. Okay, so I'm going to stop that there and thank you very much for your time and your attention. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review in your podcast listener. Then head over to Irishpaganschool.com and enroll in one of our free or paid courses. Slongafol